Morning, everybody. We're continuing our scripture reading uh, this week in Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 20 to uh, the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn from my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But... Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. The word of the Lord. And Father, we are overwhelmed in gratitude and joy because of who you are and all that you have revealed yourself to be. Our great God, a holy God, a righteous God, a justice God, a God of love and mercy and kindness to us, Lord. Thank you. And Father, as we continue to worship, not just in song, but the reading of your word, the teaching of your word, Father, we pray that in all of this, you would get glory. And Father, that you would be enough for us today and for always, that you would be seen as the glorious God that you are. Thank you for the salvation that you have provided for us in Jesus Christ. And thank you for the spirit of God that dwells within us It teaches us and shows us the glory, the beauty, the majesty, the mercy of Jesus. And Father, we ask all this in Jesus' precious name for his glory and our joy. Amen. Please be seated and open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is where we will be in chapter 1. Next week, we start doing a little more expositional, topical preaching. But right now, we're going to stay in chapter 1 for the most part. um, And uh, we'll look through chapter 1, verse 20 through verses 33, which closes that chapter. So that's where we are. So I want to dismiss the kids. You can go to your uh, class that is um, provided for you and the teachers. Bless you as you go as they teach the children about Christ. May God's wisdom be with you as well. Proverbs chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back for you. Uh, We can give you, um, if you don't have one, please take one with you uh, and um, take it home with you. That would be our gift to you. Proverbs chapter 1. Our title for the sermon series, as it says, is Proverbs, God's Wisdom for Gospel Living. We've titled this sermon series because we never want to forget That this great Old Testament book of Proverbs is about Jesus and the gospel. Many people throughout the centuries have ran to the book of Proverbs, have read the books of Proverbs, and have gotten wonderful insights on how to deal with people and how to deal with life circumstances and situations as they studied this book. But they've missed the truth that the Bible was not primarily written to make us better people. It's not a book of virtue, it's a book of gospel, the good news. It is a book of redemptive history and how God just broke in, interceded in his wonderful grace to a broken and a rebellious people. That's you and me. God's wisdom is his life living through us so that Jesus, who is the gospel, can be demonstrated and declared in love to others around us. We want to avoid, I said this back two weeks ago, We want to avoid living out God's wisdom so that we could stretch out our self-righteous hand and pat us on our self-righteous self because we have gained wisdom. We want it to point to Jesus. Proverbs, a book of good news for broken people, grace to the undeserving, 
hope in a broken and fallen, jacked up world. We said Proverbs chapter 1 through 9 is a fatherly call to seek wisdom, to follow wisdom, and turn from foolish behavior. Chapter 10 through 31 is the pithy statements, short statements of Hebrew poetry called parallelism. We'll get into that a little more next week. The proverb, mashal, means saying, it's similitude, likeness, or comparison. It's comparison, it's comparison. Bringing a comparison to something that's over here, to something that is over here, and trying to figure out how things work. So what you have before you in the book of Proverbs is a collection of wisdom literature, observations and reflections of wise men over the ages to teach us how things work. We said they're not guaranteed promises, but truism, axioms, sayings. They may not be true today, but they will be true in Eternity, ultimately, all be true. We said that Hebrew word for wisdom means skill. So Proverbs, these pithy statements, these comparisons are ways in which that gives us skill to live for God, for live in good sense, in skill to live, to choose the right course of action. Practical details of everyday life. Dr. Bruce Walkie says, Wisdom is God's design and plan for life. God's design and plan for life. Here's my shot at the definition. Everybody's got to have one, I guess. The good old doctor can have one, I can have one. Wisdom is humbly living a life. What do you mean by wisdom? Well, it's humbly living a life that declares and demonstrates the gospel and the treasuring of Christ. It's humbly declaring, it's learning God's ways, God's will, God's path for my life so that I can demonstrate, declare the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and show the world that I treasure above all treasures the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we said what that looks like or how it acts, A-C-T-S. It says wisdom we learned last week embraces and receives with an open heart the discipline of the Lord. As much as we don't like discipline, wisdom says discipline is good. God loves us and God disciplines us because he loves us. We said wisdom humbly discerns the right path of God. There's discernment. There's discretion on how we deal with others. There's a shrewdness in a good way as we walk this life and deal with people. Wisdom also recognizes that we never stop growing in wisdom. That's something I've got to learn. I believe one of the spiritual gifts is discernment for me, but I got to remember it's not me. I got to learn. I got to lean. I got to wait. I got to seek Christ. And in many ways, it says in chapter 1, verse 6, we reveal this to us. God has revealed this to us through Proverbs, through sayings, through the riddles of wise men. But we landed last week at chapter 1, verse 7. Underline that in your Bible. Remember that verse. Chapter 1, verse 7, the foundational principle. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You got that, family? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We talked last week about negative and positive fear. Negative fear is outward. It's it's focused on the outward. It's focused on people and and relationships that can harm and hurt you. Positive fear is that awe-inspiring, majestic honoring of someone. There's a difference. Negative and positive. The fear of the Lord is that fear that includes reverence, awe, majesty, wonder, and a healthy respect for God. All that he is, all that he has said in his word, and all that he has done, in particular the work of salvation, the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why the psalmist said in 130, if you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, if you, O Lord, to to count me accountable for my sins, no one could stand. And then the psalmist says, But with you, Lord, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Positive fear in the gospel is we know that in spite of our sins, in spite of our flaws, in spite of our foolishness, God does not condemn us. God is not going to hurt us. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because of the gospel, God knows us. God loves us. He delights in you because of Jesus. Then in turn, positive fear is we love him. We delight in him. We honor him. We live in awe of him. There's a big difference. We talked about that in great detail last week. And that brings us to chapter 1, verse 20. 
In order to understand the rest of the book, we have to understand two major players, two major characters, and their purposes in this book. Today, we'll look at two fundamental characters, wisdom and foolishness. So if you're taking notes, here, here's the outline. One is the work of wisdom. Two, the folly of a fool. And three, the call of Christ. That's where we're going. All right? The work of wisdom, the folly of a fool, the call of Christ. Look at chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud. That word cries in the Hebrew is, is a clear, piercing, emotional shouting. She cries aloud in the street. She cries in the marketplace. She raises her voice, wisdom does. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. And at the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Now, understand its setting here. This is the public square. This is the marketplace. This is the city gates, the very heart of the city. And here we see wisdom crying out in the streets. She's making her appeal. She, she's living in the, she's, she's speaking. She's crying out in the path of life. She's in the crowded places. She's in the public places. She's where people gather to take care of business. Lady Wisdom is a crier, a town crier, announcing danger, danger with her voice. She says in verse 22, she, she admonishes the simple ones and the fools for their love of folly and the hatred of wisdom. How long, she says in verse 22, O simple ones. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate? knowledge down in verse 32 she warns them that death awaits the fool now it's interesting to note i want you to note this that here she's not only crying out in the city streets she's in the 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 city gates well in the city gates in ancient or antiquity the city gates were a place where the elders gathered together right there was a place it was spacious place where traffic would come in and out of the city and many times by these gates there would be um uh, sort of like Sort of like here, there would be a, a place to sit where the elders would gather together and, and, and study the word of God and to, to bring judgment and conduct business. Job 29, he says, When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew. And the aged rose and stood. Wisdom. He, he, they, they were dispensing judgment and justice. Proverbs 31, Solomon speaks of a wife, a virtuous wife, and he says, her husband is known by the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Here is wisdom, the town crier shouting, declaring at a place where business is being conducted and the word of God is being interpreted and things are being judged. Out in the open, look at verse 10. We see the opposition It is the sinners in verse 10, those who are habitually and consistently living in rebellion, who are trying to entice men. Wisdom cries out in the street, excuse me, in verse verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. He says, they cry out and they say, come with us. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. They're evil, man. They're They're not in the city gates declaring they're hiding in the dark alleys. This wisdom is not proclaimed publicly. This wisdom, foolishness, is whispered in private. But the wisdom teacher warns them. Look at verse 15. My son, he says, do not walk in the way with them. Don't do it. Don't walk in the way. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, waiting waiting to trap you. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. But not Lady Wisdom. She's out in the open. She's calling men, come. Come, hear the voice of wisdom. Notice the universality of the call. It's in the city gates. It's the place that traffic comes in and out. The farmers are bringing food and and things out from the field the government officials are executing judgment shop owners and customers coming to haggle prices in the city the craftsmen the beggars the watchers anyone everyone 
Hear the call of wisdom. That's what she's saying. It's not hidden. It's proclaimed. It's not in secret. She's speaking to those who are following or at least heading toward folly. Notice too here, we mentioned this before. Let me mention it again. Wisdom is personified as a woman. She. She calls. You read in chapter 1. You read it again in chapter 8. You read it again in chapter 9. They say there are at least two reasons why wisdom is personified as a woman. Number one, the Hebrew noun for wisdom, hakma, is feminine. So usually what is, what is personified takes the agenda of the noun. So she calls out in the streets. Also, remember this book is for the leaders of Israel and primarily for the young men who would rise up, Solomon's son and other leaders, and they know what son, some young men are tempted to head in what direction. She cries out in the street. Verse 20, this lady wisdom, the word wisdom there, it's a unique word. Uh, It's a unique, it's in the plural. What that means is that wisdom in all her perfections, all her excellencies, this is what you need, young men, young women. This is what you need, older folks. This is what you need to have wisdom. That's all you need. She is declaring. She is divine. Because it's God's plan that she's proclaiming. It's God's ways. It's God's will that she is declaring, crying out in the street. Do you know that wisdom, according to Proverbs, has been in existence even before the creation of the world itself? Chapter 8, verse 22. Just listen to these words, okay? The Lord possessed me, Lady Wisdom, at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. Where there is no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains have been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Lady Wisdom. Before he had made, God had made the earth with his fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I, Lady Wisdom, was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When God marked out the foundations of the earth, Then I, Lady Wisdom, was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him. Lady Wisdom, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. That's a description of Lady Wisdom. The plan of God, Wisdom, created the earth and life itself. God wired the cosmos, the creation of all that we see as an inner logic of everything. So wisdom was how everything started and how everything is supposed to work and everything does work. The writer is telling us that this lady wisdom cannot be found from searching within. That this lady wisdom was before the creation and must be found outside of us. It speaks of creation. It speaks of the shalom of God. God's peace. In Genesis 1 and 2, in the creation account, what do you find? You find the world in perfect peace. You find Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden with their God, with their creator. God fulfills their need. God meets them where they are, and they have love for one another, unconditionally worship. In paradise was the experience of being fully, fully content, fully satisfied, totally fulfilled in God. Wisdom in all its perfection. God provided everything they needed, each other, the beautiful earth, and of course, ultimately himself. That's shalom, perfect peace, psychologically, emotionally, Physically, relationally, spiritually, peace with a purpose of worship. Wisdom in all her perfection. Listen, Proverbs 3.18. She, Lady Wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, 
Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. Do you see that? She is not only through whom God created the world, but she is likened to the Garden of Eden. She is, it says here in this psalm, in this proverb, the tree of life. And now as Proverbs is written, Solomon has given us this wisdom literature. We as New Testament people, as we as Christians, post-cross, post-resurrection, know that what he was talking about, I don't quite, I don't think he quite understood. Because in the New Testament, this lady wisdom is personified, is personalized in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of wisdom. Matthew 11 says, Jesus talking, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace, sitting in the marketplace, and calling to their playmates. You see, he's speaking Proverbs. This generation, they're calling to their playmates. They're calling in the streets, he says. We played the flute for you. You did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. You don't recognize who's here. Jesus says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. But the Son of Man, Jesus himself says, I come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him. Look what he's doing. He's a drunkard, a friend of the tax collector, a glutton, hanging out with sinners. And then Jesus says this, listen. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus Jesus was saying, do you see all that I am doing? Do you see the work that I'm doing? You say I'm a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collector? Yet I am wisdom. I am justified by my deeds. You see what he's saying? Do you recognize? Proverbs, in Proverbs, she's a figure. She's a lady, a woman, a, a, a lady wisdom. But in the New Testament, Listen, in the New Testament, it becomes incarnate, personalized, personified in Jesus Christ. He is the one who is with God from the beginning. He is the one who is the source of life. He's the one who calls out to everyone to come. Friends, wisdom is calling you and warning you. This is not a self-help book. This is not a, a 10 ways to improve your life. Some of those things, okay, they may be good, but this is a call to come. This is life and death. In Scripture, God's constantly calling his people to choose life or death. In the tree, in the the garden of Eden in Genesis 3, choose life or death, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or disobey me and you will die. In Deuteronomy 30, when the law was given, he says, choose life or death. You see, it's only possible to walk in the ways of wisdom if we walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. Walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. Whether or not we walk with him or not is whether or not we walk in wisdom or or foolishness, whether we listen to the voice of foolishness or we listen to the voice of wisdom. Being united with Christ, having his word and his spirit dwelling within us by faith is our only hope for wayward rebels and sinners. Our hope is in the found, our hope is found in the wise, righteous son of God. As we trust him, Jesus has come. Come. Come, come to me for life. Come for me for wisdom. Verse 23 tells us what we need to do. Look at verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, at my correction, at my discipline, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Wisdom calls upon the guilty to turn, to repent. And the only way for sinners to obtain wisdom is for them to turn from their ways, renounce their follies, and walk with Jesus. He is the true and righteous one. He is the true and righteous one. We'll come back to that. Number two, the fool of a folly. Look, out, look at this in verse 22. Now, similar to the four soils, if you're familiar with Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, and I think it's chapter 13, he talks about the seed being sown as four, four uh, soils. Well, there's four different descriptions of a fool in Proverbs, four categories. But let me just say this. We're going to look at what a fool is. Let me just say this. It's not necessarily your intellect, right? We, we talked about this before. You don't need to have a PhD to walk in wisdom. In fact, you can have all the knowledge that this world can offer and still be a fool. And you could be not very intellectually smart and be wise and vice versa. 
Because the scripture tells us wisdom comes from knowing God, loving God, knowing God's ways, doing God's will. The psalmist makes it very clear. The fool is the one who says in his heart, there is no God. That's what God says. You have a lack of responsiveness and concern for God's plans, God's purposes, God's ways is the epitome of foolishness. That's what he says. So let's look at the four descriptions of a fool. The first one, verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? The Hebrew word simple ones, petit, is the word that means naive ones. It's related to the word, verb means to, to be open, to be um, inexperienced, to be ignorant, to be uncommitted. Proverbs 22.3, the prudent, the ones who live in discretion, sees danger and hides himself. But the simple, the petite, go on and suffer for it. See that? So the prudent one, the one who has discretion and discernment, sees danger up ahead and he's running for cover. The naive one, the simple one, the inexperienced one, the the, uh, noncommittal one, he sees danger and he just keeps walking. That's what he's saying. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about the simple ones. He says this, you will never, talking to the simple ones, you will never make yourself feel that you are a sinner because there is a mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We are all on very good terms with ourselves. And we can always put up a good case for ourselves. Even if we try to make ourselves feel that we are sinners, we will never do it. There is only one way to know that we are sinners, and that is to have a some dim, glimmering conception of God. End quote. The naive ones are the ones aimlessly running after things, aimlessly drifting along. They're not committed. And that, what, what, the, what the proverb says, it means that they are unprotected. They're susceptible to, to folly and to evil. They're easily led. And they, they see grave danger, but they keep walking. The petite, which Proverbs speaks mostly to, the petite is the, is the naive ones that can't be really sure about who they are. They're unsure of their identity. They desperately need approval from others, causing them to lack wisdom, discernment on good and bad relationships. Dr. Tim Keller says this about the simple fool. They are someone who gives too much credence too often. A simple fool is someone who is too easily led, too easily influenced, end quote. That's the petite. The second word here characterizes a fool is verse 22 as well. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffering? That's a much stronger word. Those are the skeptics, right? They're the ones who get their kicks out of belittling people, laughing at ideas, laughing off ways of being committed to the way and the will of God. They scoff at it. They're arrogant, they're prideful, they're free thinkers, and they look down and despise others who call upon wisdom, others who want to walk with wisdom, others who want to follow the ways of God. They mock and they dislike correction. Don't even try to correct them. They mock at it. Now the next one is two words for fool. Look at chapter 1 with me. Well, verse 22 is the first word for fool. There are three words for fool in, in Proverbs. We're going to look at two. The first one is found in verse 22. So how long will simple ones, naive, the petite, uncommitted, will you have being simple? How long will scoffers, those who delight in their scoffing, they despise and they belittle, and fools hate knowledge. That's the word kassil. It's It means, it's used 50 times in this book, at least, or almost 50 times. It is It is. You are dull. You are insensitive. You're, you're, you're so caught up with your life. You're so busy running your life. You're so busy trying to prove yourself to be your own Lord, your own saviors, that the wisdom of God and the will of God and the ways of God is nonsense to you. That's what that means. You made up your mind and you don't want to be confused with the facts, right? You're dull and you're obstinate. You're fleshly. You're worldly. You, you see all that the world offers and you think that's all there is. That person is the gazelle. He's dull. He's insensitive. Why should a fool have money in his hands to buy wisdom when he has no sense? That's the word gazelle. 
A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. He's not interested. Over and over again, you're like, you're trying, he's just not interested. He's not listening. It's not, a, it's not about not mentally understanding. It's a spiritual darkness, a spiritual blindness. He enjoys the folly. He thinks it's funny. He's complacent in it. The second word for a fool we'll find, look up at verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom. That word is the word avil. Okay? Like that word, casil um, uh, up above, the, both words for fool, that suggested stubbornness as well. But this is a stronger word. This is a darker place for someone to be. This is a deeper place, a more hardened heart. The avil is harder and darker than the casil. You understand that? So that fool in chapter 1, verse 7, is a harder and darker than the one in chapter 1, verse 22. He's in a darker place. He can't stomach wisdom. He despises it. He hates it. And you see the different levels of, of, of this, this foolishness that people, that people are, uh, get caught up in. Proverbs 14.9. The avil, the one who hates wisdom, makes a mock at sin. It's interesting to note, and I will, we'll deal with this. We're going to talk about raising children. Because the Bible this obviously has a lot to say about raising kids. Everybody likes to quote Proverbs twenty-two fifteen for a three-year-old. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. That's what the Bible says. I'm not disagreeing it. But the word folly there is the avil. It's the hardest, hard hearted person he gets the rod not the petite you got to know your kids the avil won't listen to anything and some of you thinking i know some adults yes the one sitting next to you everybody look to the one sitting next to you so it's not just kids some of us are the avil man right we're just like i need a sledgehammer i'm not listening Look what it says. Here's what God says to those fools. Look at verse 24 with me. Because I have called and you refuse to listen. I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Verse 25, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. Notice that verse, it's all plurals. Verbs are all plural. There's, there's a community he's talking to, a group of fools. That rejected and disdained wisdom. Verse 26. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me. But I will not answer. They will seek me diligently but will not find me. Really? Why? Verse 29. It's not that God had a bad day. It's not like, you know what? I don't feel like dealing with these idiots today. That's not, no, it says verse 29. Because this fool hates knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord, not to reverent, awe, respect, honor, love, treasure him, would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. The choice to reject wisdom call has painful consequences. That's what he's saying. Don't miss what he's saying here, right? Wisdom may seem cruel, but wisdom warns men that calamity and disaster and the consequences of your actions of rejecting wisdom will come upon you. It's the universal truth, man. You sow what you reap. Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, or we could say, for one who sows to his own folly, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Foolish and evil, men and women suffer only what they deserve and where they're headed. God's justice, listen family, requires that men not only receive what they have earned, the wage of sin is death, but they get what they earnestly are running after. Who they are listening to will, in the end, be the results of disaster. This should cause us to sit straight up in our chairs. Verse 31. Therefore, 
Consequently, they shall eat the fruit of their ways and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroy them. The way of a fool and evil will eventually lead to ruin. Mankind cannot just simply complacently continue to walk in their ways without repenting. The consequences is coming. The consequences are coming. Hell and destruction will be populated with men who are very remorseful for the consequences of their sin, but with no one who genuinely have repented of sin, which means turning from foolishness and turning to God. A turning from foolishness, a turning to genuine repentance, for justice demands that we face consequences. God loves you, and God is love. And because he is love, he is also a God of justice. No one in this room, no one in this room believes that injustice is the right course of action for evil. No one. Everybody wants justice, just not for themselves. But they know it's right. And God in love must play out and give you the consequence of running active foolishness. The Bible calls us to follow wisdom, to reject folly. The, the, the scriptures are clear. Today is the day of salvation. Now, let's, let's, let's not judge. I know some of you may be thinking of somebody, but let me try to relate it to you, okay? Everyone in this room <laughs> falls into these categories, right? To reject wisdom, to pursue folly. Come on, let's be real. Do you think you're smarter than God? Some people here are the petite. They're the simple ones, open-minded. Don't want to stand for nothing. They'll fall for anything. You're uncommitted. You think, I'm on, I'm on good terms. I'm cool. Some of you are the casil. You're done. You're insensitive to the call of God. You're caught up in your life. You don't want to hear. You're trying to justify your own existence. You're trapped in your own cycle, trying to get the world's goods and the world's provisions. You're worldly occupied. Some of you are the avil. You're stubborn. You hate and despise wisdom, and you're arrogant, and you're, you're, you're you think, I don't, why bother? And some of you may be the scoffer here. You think, what am I doing here? A bunch of fools that believe in God, sing songs, worship Jesus. Friends, if you're any one of these people, welcome to the human race. None of us here were born hearing, pursuing, and embracing wisdom. I want to assure you of this truth. If you hear the call of wisdom today, If you hear the voice of God today, I don't care where you have been, I don't care what you have done, or how far you walked away, the call of Christ is for you this morning. Verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But, verse 33, antithetical parallelism, but... Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. The simple are killed, but if you listen to me, if you listen to me, if you hear the call of wisdom, you will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, does that mean, oh, okay, pastor, you mean if I, if I embrace Christ, if I walk with Jesus, it'll be an easy life, it'll be a life of no pain, a life without difficulties and troubles? No. That church is somewhere, I think, in Texas or in, in, in some other California or something. But watch this, okay? Remember we said that wisdom was there. She was a master workman. She was there when God established the heavens. She made firm the skies above. We said that wisdom was not only present at creation, she participated in it. We said that before sin, Genesis 1 and 2 And before folly and evil entered the word, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. We said that in the garden there was shalom, perfect peace, fully content, fulfilled and satisfied in God. There was all perfection in wisdom. There was harmony, there was order, there was meaning. But in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned and harmony between them and God and them and each other was changed it unraveled something went wrong now we have selfishness hatred racism foolishness and evil and then in creation chapter 3 in the midst of folly in the midst of foolishness in the midst of chaos god speaks god speaks he speaks of a son 
Family, if you know your Bibles, in Genesis chapter 3, before God speaks, let's go back one second. Before God speaks, what, does, what, what happens? The serpent, it says, comes squiggling along. Craftier than any other beast of the field that the Lord has made. This evil one, this Satan, this, this, this demon, says to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat? Of any tree in the garden. And here we see foolishness. We see evil enter the world. Not with an action at first. But an attitude. An attitude against God's wisdom. Against what God has said. A call to foolishness. Did God really say that? That's a mockery. He knows what God has said. He's saying Don't, that's ridiculous. That's foolishness. That's laughable. Did God really say? And a woman said to the serpent. Oh, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God did say, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. And then she adds words, neither shall you touch it lest you die. She's trying to figure things out, right? Adding stuff. But the serpent said to him, to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit. She ate it. She gave it to her husband who was standing right next to her and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. You see, Eve yielded to temptation and so did Adam. In creation, what we see is foolishness is pursuing what your eyes or what your thoughts, what you think is right instead of listening to what God has said. His word, his commands. In doing so, they preferred the serpent's backdoor, slimy back alley, just like we saw in verse 10 of chapter 1, and they listened as he waited in ambush. Adam and Eve rejected God's word and listened to foolishness. They chose to listen to evil, to foolishness, then choose to listen to God. And I will tell you that trusting in yourself and listening to Satan go hand in hand. Their eyes were open. They saw they were naked. They knew something was wrong. They went and they hid. Listen, they went and hid from God. Maybe you can't see me now. And what does it say? It says that the first time in all creation, negative fears showed up. They were afraid. And they were full of shame. That's what it says in the scriptures. And all of humanity has fallen ever since. You see, the lie, the folly was to believe what they think was right. And they became less like God. They became less like God. Adam and Eve would had never known evil, would surely know it now. But do you see what Satan is doing? Adam and Eve were promised to, to hear the call. And, and they were promised freedom, but they received shame. They were promised they would be like God, wise in their own understandings. But they found themselves foolishness. They're fools, and they hid themselves from God. Folly is always finding what's right in your own eyes rather than following God. But as I said, in the midst of all this foolishness, in the midst of this fall, in the midst of this fear, in the midst of this shame, God speaks words of wisdom, of comfort. Genesis 3.15, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of foolishness, he says, someday someone will come, the seed of the woman, and through him, although he would be bruised, he would crush, he would destroy, he would crush Satan, forgive sin, take care of death and hell, and make a way back into paradise, back into shalom, where we can live secure and be at ease and not fear disaster. He is the one, John said, was in the beginning like wisdom. He was before the creation. He was face to face with God. John says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. See the Genesis connection? And without him was not anything made that was made. In him, that's Jesus, was life and light. Of men, and this word became flesh and he dwells among us. Do you see? Don't miss this. In the midst of sin, folly, and shame, God promises to send the Son to live a life of wisdom, a perfect life without sin, a life that we could never live, and then to die as our substitute, paying the penalty 
for our sin. And you know what some people say? Paul tells us. For the word of the cross, the work of Jesus, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. So it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, the cross, to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we, we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block for the Jews, folly and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, who hear the call. Jew and Greek, Christ is the power, Christ is the wisdom of God. See, the cross is foolishness. The cross is foolishness because it's not supposed to happen like that. A baby is not supposed to be born in a manger to a teenage girl. He doesn't come weak and vulnerable. He doesn't go to the cross. He said he was coming to bring a kingdom to do away with evil, to crush, and he went to the cross to die. He was coming to defeat evil, but he was tortured in weakness, and he suffers. And foolishness is is self-justifying and saying, I don't need that. I I don't want to hear the gospel. I don't want to hear about the cross. I want to judge myself. I want to save myself. And the world says, yes, but if you want, Salvation, you need to be a fool for God. And God comes along and says, be a fool to the world if you want to experience forgiveness. Be a fool to the world if you want to experience my salvation. Be a fool to the world so you can know true love and a relationship with me. Why? Because on the cross, we see a broken, foolish, twisted, jacked up we truly are. We see how utterly sinful we are and that Jesus had to die, redeeming us at the infinite cost of his shed blood. And when we take that into our lives, when we press the gospel deeper into our lives, then we can become wise. No longer simpletons, no more mockers, no more fools. We're too humble for that. We recognize how desperately we need Jesus. And to that degree that you grasp the foolishness of the cross, the power of God, the wisdom of God that's in Christ, you will finally become wise in your life. Let me close with this. Everyone in this room is a fool. You're welcome. You're a simple fool. You're a petite, open-minded. You're a cassel. You're insensitive. You're an avil. You're stubborn. Or you're a scoffer and you laugh. But let me tell you this. If any of you here today Hear the voice of wisdom. It's not too late. What it means to be a Christian is first to repent. As I said earlier, to turn. Say, I have been a fool. I have been out there, touched with reality, doing my own things, finding my own wisdom. And I need the wisdom of God. You have to be willing to become a fool in the eyes of the world so that you can be and experience Christ. The world will think you're nuts. Are you willing to do that? Are you, are you willing to do that? Repent of your own ways, your own path, your own life, and living what you think would be wise and become a fool for Jesus. Second, you need to receive Christ. Open your heart, open your life to Christ, who is the power of God and the salvation of God and the wisdom of God. His promise to you is that if you repent and believe, even though you will face hardship, even though you will face difficulties in this life, you can be sure that you will live in the security, listen, of his love. You can live in the security of his love now and always and without ever concerning yourself about condemnation and the dread of disaster in eternity. Let me leave you with this verse. Many of you know the Sermon on the Mount, the long discourse in the Gospel according to Matthew that Jesus teaches, the longest discourse, preaching sermon of Jesus. At the very end of his sermon, three chapters long, he says these words. This is the call. The end. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rock is Christ. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it has been founded on the rock. 
The incarnation of wisdom is Jesus. But, verse 26, and everyone who hears the words of mine and does them, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Choose ye today. Self-justification, walking in folly, going your ways, doing your things, or turn from that and trust in Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that you will never live. He died an atoning, substitutionary death in your place for your sins. Receive him by faith as a gift. He loves you, and he's calling you. Turn, come, don't go down that road. Let's pray. Father, I can't help but think of my own life in ways that I don't listen, have not listened, and yet your voice continues to call me to turn. We all can be foolish and stubborn at times, Lord. Forgive me. Father, as as your child, I, I thank you for your kindness and your discipline toward me. And I know there are many here who love you and recognize that, yes, we have walked foolishly, but we know that our Savior loves us, died for us, rose for us, and receives us, and cleanses us, and watches us, and forgives us of our sins. And we celebrate that this morning. And yet, Father, I want to pray for those who have never turned to you and ask God that you would open their hearts to see the foolishness and the destruction. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not even be in this life, but to reject you is to reject life. And I ask God that you would pour out your spirit as we respond. And Lord, you would open up our hearts to receive wisdom and ask Jesus Christ to come. Yield our life to him alone. His perfect record becomes ours by faith alone in him. In Jesus' name, let's respond. Lord, I need you. Is that the cry of your heart? Let that be the cry of your heart. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you.